So we are walking through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the stories of Jesus and his life. We get to see who he is. We get to experience him, all right? And we have gotten through the birth narrative, and we have seen John the Baptist, and we have um, experienced um, Jesus' uh, baptism. And last week, we talked about the... Um, not loading for me. We talked about the uh, temptations uh, of Jesus. I'm going to talk and let you see if you can pull that up. Um, so this week, we're going to get into, um, as Jesus leaves the wilderness, all right, he left the, the, the Jordan to go into the wilderness, okay? And then he left the wilderness to go and begin to preach in the churches and in the synagogues. And this passage we're looking at this morning, I, I can't recall anybody that I've ever heard preach on it. This is one of those. I don't know that there's ever been a passage where, uh, a time where I've heard this passage preached on. Now, there's a verse in here that I bet any of you who've been in ministry for any length of time have heard, okay? And, and that is this, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. How many of you have heard that particular phrase or passage? Well, this passage comes from, you know, the, that, that passage comes from the scripture that maybe I'll read to you, um, maybe not. Not sure? What? 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 Here's what I'm going to do. Hey, Jacob. Jacob, can you bring that to me? You can. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we got to watch the wood. Thank you, buddy. Oh, they're baseball pants? All right. Well, if it comes back on, we'll have it. But until then, Luke chapter 4. All right? We don't need that as long as we know what we're talking about and we have the spirit. Luke chapter 4. All right, we're going to start in verse 14, all right, verse 14. I'm going to read it, we're going to go back and talk about it, and then we'll move on from there. I want to say a word, though, before we get started. I wanted you to see it, but I'm going to say it. Ethnocentrism. Ethnocentrism. Do any of you, could anybody in the room think they could define that for me? If you think you could, raise your hand. That's what I figured, all right? That's what I figured. This is a word I want you to think about. I don't preach on hot topics very often. You know that. But when I come to them in the scriptures, I'm going to preach them because they're there. I have no issue with that whatsoever because they're right there in front of me, all right? So this morning, we're going to talk about ethnocentrism, but you know it by another name. Here we go. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. So they knew he was coming. They knew he was going to be a part of their worship experience that day. He's in his hometown, and he stands up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So there's a scroll that's handed to him. It is Isaiah, which we have in the scripture, all right? Except it's on a scroll. It's rolled up, all right? And he, get this, found the place where it said. So it wasn't like they were in a place. Or he went to a specific passage, and that passage is this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat back down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, what the prophet said has come true right in front of you. Folks, you are reading probably the most blatantly audastic, arrogant, if it weren't true, statement to ever be proclaimed in a synagogue. Here's what he says. You've been reading about a guy who would come for years. He just spoke. And now you would think that people would go, who do you think that you are? And they do, but not yet. Listen to what happens next. See, I always thought that they got mad and angry at Jesus because of what he said. And they did. But you have to hear when they did it makes all the difference in the world. Here's what happens next. He rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone were fastened on him. He said today the scripture was fulfilled in the hearing. All spoke well of him. Right after he says it, all spoke well of him. And his gracious words came from his lips. Oh, listen to this. Wow, this is awesome. Isn't this guy the carpenter's son? And then Jesus said, so do you remember in that passage, Jesus, it says in Mark chapter 2, and he knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts when they were mumbling. The Pharisees are mumbling over on the other side, and he says, hey, do you, you guys, um, you know, he knew what he, they were thinking. Woo-hoo! He knew what they were thinking, right? Well, that's what happened here. He hears their murmurs. He knows that they're happy with him right now. So he says, all right, next, he says, surely you're going to quote this passage of Scripture to me. Physician, heal yourself. He says, if I continue to preach, you all are going to go, oh, shut up. That's the guy we thought, hey, you need to watch yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. He said, you all are going to say this to me and just, no, we're not. We love hearing from you. It's like got an authority that, that comes from knowing. Well, there's a reason for that. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. What they're going to say is, prove it. Preston's favorite pr- phrase, prove it. All right? So th- th- this, this is going to wear off. And they're just sitting there going, oh. Truly, I tell you prophet has no honor in his hometown it's not just about people knowing his past his present his parents not his parents that he lived there that he played football there that he didn't play football there it's part of it but this is where you and I have to learn something that is absolutely true listen to me this is important in a ministry this is one of the things I learned early on and I've spent years trying to grasp how important this is listen perception is not reality but perception is their reality. Listen to me. Perception is not reality. But when you speak about someone's perception, it is their reality. Make it true. True to them, true to me, doesn't make something true. I've told you time and time again, you have to decide 
what it is that makes something true. For me, if God spoke it, it is true. The Bible teaches it. It is truth. There is no untruing it. It doesn't get partially true. It isn't a little bit true. It is true, and that is the end of that discussion. Okay? I'm telling you. And when he says that prophet has no honor in his hometown, what he's saying is, I know you and you know me. And I know exactly how this is going to go down. Now, there really ought to be a break in the story because I bet if we shut the book now, none of you could tell me what happens next. I seriously mean that. I could not have told you. Jesus goes on, and here's what he says. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a famine throughout the land. Elijah was not sent to any of them, but a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. What does that have to do with the price of butter in Bolivia? Well, what would, like, Jesus, where'd you go? You rounded a corner and took none of us with you. And then he grins and he says this, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman, this is a story, only Naaman, the Syrian. What does that have to do with the price of tea in Thailand? We were talking about prophets in their hometown. Because Jesus' first sermon was about ethnocentrism. Okay, we're still not there. No problem. Let's go back. What happened in John the Baptist's message? I taught it to you. You don't have, it's not a quiz, but you need to know. John came to pave the way, all right, to make straight the path for the Lord. He did his job. He got everybody prepared. He prepared them by coming out of the religious area, by coming out of the church, all right, and going out into the wilderness and preaching the gospel, Old Testament into New Testament, a gospel that called for what? A baptism of what? It's not up there. This is... This is what, a baptism of what? Do you remember? Repentance. He was calling for a baptism of repentance. And when the people came, he was very clear about what they needed to repent of. All right? They needed to repent of what? Do you remember? I called it a word. Their Jewness. You remember me saying that word a couple times? They needed to repent of their Jewness. And the reason was their birth into the nation of Israel, into their Jewish heritage, gave them a credence that meant that the Messiah was coming for his children, and they are the children of God. The nation of Israel is the called people of God. And so because they were Jew, they were the Messiah's gift, and he was theirs. But John said, time out. There's one who will come and has yet to come that I can't even tie his sandals that's going to preach something different than you're ready to hear. And then Jesus comes out and he says, hey, I'm him. Interestingly enough, when he said I'm him, just a few passages later and in a passage I'm going to read today, he heals people and then tells them not to tell them who he is. Why would he hide the Messiah or what 
uh, theologians call the messianic secret. Why would that come out in the same book where he just said, hey, I'm the guy. Here's what I think. Uh, camera, I don't know this for sure. This is not written for nothing. This is, this is Craig Revised Version. This is what I think. I think it's because he knew they weren't going to buy it anyway. I think he told them an awesome secret, and it went, like that puppet Jeff Dunham has. That's right. It went right over their heads. And I'm going to show you. Okay. It's awesome. All right. So listen, 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 listen. He tells these two stories, and then they get fierce. Listen. All the people in the synagogue were furious. They go from I love it to furiousness after two two-sentence stories. The question is why? How mad did they get? They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, and tried to throw him off the cliff. The people got so angry that they drove him outside of town, up the hill, and tried to push him off the cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went on his way. I really want to see that video. I really want to, because you know Jesus is never like, hmm, I want to see it, right? I have this vision of how this went down, and I want to see it from above. I don't want to see it from this. I want to see it from above. You've got all these people, and they're turning into a mob mentality. They're arguing, they're screaming, and fighting, all right? And they're, they're chanting, and they've got their pitchforks, all right? And they're chasing the demon, right? And they get him to the edge of the cliff. And I think he plays along until he gets to the cliff. And then he turns around to face them and smiles. And in his bathrobe and flip-flops, his toga and his sandals, he starts to walk toward them. Have you ever watched um, uh, the, the difference in magnets when they're connected and a magnet when you turn it and the, the same poles face each other? You try to put them together and they bounce around? I think that's exactly what happened. I think you have these people trying, physically trying to push him and grab him. And he's got this grin on his face and he walks right through them and the sea just kind of parts and comes back together as he walks through like a magnet pushing them away and then walking on out. And I think he just smiled and walked and everybody tried to do it and they couldn't touch him and their hands were held back by some power they didn't know and Jesus went right on doing what Jesus is going to do. Ooh, now, what is in here? So much, so much, all right? First, that every preacher and teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ should be unashamed and unafraid to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to follow the lead of the one who was called to initially teach and preach. And he gives us his job description. The spirit of the Lord is on me. The spirit must speak and has anointed. You must be called out to proclaim good news to the poor. Poor financially, poor mentally, poor emotionally, poor in power, poor weight in spirit. Why? Blessed are the poor in spirit. These are the people that the kingdom of God is for. He has sent them to proclaim freedom to the prisoners because we're all captive by our sins, recovery for the blind because we're blinded by who we are and all we think that we can do, and the oppressed, the pushed down, the driven, down by the things of this world and the weight of this place we live in. God came to bring them freedom, and this is the gospel. Interesting side note. 
This is the last sentence of what Jesus read in Isaiah, to proclaim the Lord's favor. Little teachable moment. In Isaiah, the sentence doesn't end there. He stops halfway through a statement in Isaiah. There's a reason. This whole passage is about Jesus the Messiah, the one who came to seek and save that which was lost. His gospel for that time was good news to proclaim the Lord's favor. The rest of that verse talks about the wrath of God and his judgment. Jesus was not about that here. He will be about that when he comes again. This was the story of his first coming. He leaves it out on purpose because we're going to hear and watch his ministry, and his ministry will be about seeking and saving that which was lost. We're going to get to the fact that there is a separation, but it's important how we get there, all right? Now the question becomes, when he says he's the Messiah, why didn't they buy it and why are they all happy? Because they had no idea. They weren't really taking it in. And then he says, well, let's try real preaching for a minute. We have to figure out why he said what he said. So let's look at the similarities between the two stories. There were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, right? So he's got a story of Elijah and a story of Elisha. There are many Israel's, Israel widows in Elijah's time. Look at this. There were many in Israel with leprosy. Both stories start off saying there were a lot of Jews, Let's go back. But when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a famine in the land, they had leprosy. All right? Bad things happen, and God is going to send help. But Elijah was not sent to them. He was sent to a widow in Zarephath. All right? Phoenicia a foreigner in the region of Sidon, okay? You ready for this? Elisha was not sent to cleanse any of them. He cleansed Naaman in Syria. All the people in the synagogue were furious. That's no centrism. It's centering on Focusing on the ethnicity. Junus. You're born into something, and because of the family that you have, the church that you belong to, the color of your skin, you rise up or are lower than someone else. Jesus' first sermon was on racism. The very first thing Jesus preached was on racism. Your problem is you think because you are the called out nation of God that you are above everyone else. And the Gentiles have to do what you do, believe what you believe, stay where you are, and they are all discounted. Here's the biggest problem with ethnocentrism. You are the center. Here's the biggest problem with racism. Whoever believes they're better are the center. Doesn't matter the color. Racism spans across all colors. If that color believes that there's something that they deserve that others do not, 
there is the key, all right? And it goes even further than that because Jesus actually tells us what should and should not define us. He says, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. I am a gospel for all people. But an ethnocentric person believes this, and I didn't even know this until it came out of my mouth in my kitchen talking to my neighbor, Stephen Herod. And here's what I said, and you need to hear it. The problem with ethnocentrism and racism is this. We think that when God offers himself to everyone, it excludes us. Think about that for a minute. When the Jewish people heard that everybody was going to be included, they got, I, I'm just going to say, they got butt hurt. Sorry, but that's what happened. That is, that's the only word I know how to think of right now, and I'm not, it's not a cuss word, but they did. They got butt hurt. That there was something for them that they thought was theirs that everybody's going to get, and they felt excluded. Why? Here's the problem with that exclusion. It means my God has limits. As if when he pours his cup out on the rest of the world, it's going to be empty before it gets to them. Don't do that. Don't do that. Racism at his root is self-centered, self-righteous, selfishness. And God says, define yourself that way and you will never see the kingdom of God. Craig, it doesn't go that far. Oh, no. Matthew chapter 5. This is the story right after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches his first sermon and then he goes to, to do. He doesn't just speak, he goes to do. Let's look at the first two things he did with a crowd of Jewish people coming down off the mountain watching him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and said, I am willing. And he cleaned the dirtiest of the dirty people in the town. The most outcast people. Jesus does his first thing. And then Jesus said, see that you don't tell anyone. Go show yourself to the priest. And then Jesus entered Capernaum. And the next guy he runs into is a Roman centurion. The guy who's taking from who the Jews are. The one who's making Caesar is God stand out loud. And this Roman centurion asks for help, and he says, my servant is at home. He's not even here. He's at home. But he believes enough in Jesus that if Jesus just says he's better, he's better. And Jesus goes, I have been sitting with people who are supposed to have been waiting for me to arrive. And I've arrived, and all they're doing is listening to me preach. You don't even know me. You're from another planet. Yeah, not really planet. You're from another place. And you come here, and you have such faith in me that if I just speak it, when you get back home, your servant's healed, I am in. This is, this is what I'm talking about. I have a gospel for everyone. Come on. And his servant, look, go, let it be done. His servant was healed in that moment. But look what he says right before that. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. People are going to come from all races, creeds, color, and sex, and they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Listen, but the subjects of the kingdom, the people who think it was theirs, the people inside the confines of their own self-righteous minds will be thrown out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you do not believe that that is enough, this is the final verse of the parable of the tenants when a farmer owns land and the people get to be a part of the land and tend the land and he sends his son to tell them and they kill him. 
they kill him. And the people say, what is your response to them killing your son? Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from them and given to people who produce fruit. There is a dividing line. You say, well, division is not what we know. There is a dividing line, and the dividing line is simple. The dividing line is faith in God. Not just believing in God. Big difference between belief and faith. You believe a chair is going to hold you up, and you sit on the chair. There's a difference. Belief in action is faith. So faith in God that produces fruit is the separator between people. That's it. Not race, not creed, not color, not sex, not power, not authority, not where you're from or where you live or who your mom is. None. Belief in God. And Jesus spent the rest of his ministry trying to get them to understand it. The hero in the story of the Good Samaritan is not a Jew, but a Samaritan. The, the, the ten lepers are healed, and only one comes back. Nine of them were Jews. One of them was a Samaritan. Guess who came and said thank you? The Samaritan. When he healed the young girl in Mark chapter 7, she wasn't Jewish. She was Syrophoenician. When the wise men were the first to come and bow down at the altar after the shepherds, they were Jews, right? Religious people, right? No. They were from Persia or Arabia or Egypt or something like that. A far off country. The parable of the tenants says what I just told you. Jesus, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He didn't just talk it, he walked it. And the dividing line for Jesus was whether or not you believe that I say I am or not. And that is the good news. Now listen to me. If there is a divider, okay, that is something that can come between us. The Bible says he who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life that can actually be a great thing for us. Here's why. God does say faith in me is the difference between life and death. There will be judgment and there will be a separation of people and it will not be based on anything except faith in me. But here's the deal. We don't get to judge. The dividing line is there, but we aren't the dividers. The gospel truth is there and the wrath of hell is there, but we don't choose who does. If we spend all of our time clamoring, reaching, striving, and running to bring everybody who does not believe to believe, then we're doing our job. And that is the job that Jesus said he came for to begin with. Proclaim the good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Proclaim sight to the blind. Set the oppressed free. Your job is not to, to, to point out what divides us. It's to understand that there is only one divide, and our job is to get people on this side. That's it. Racism doesn't end with conversation. Doesn't hurt, doesn't help, but it doesn't end there. It ends with faith in God. Racism doesn't end when groups rise up and shout their side louder. Racism doesn't end when we, when we provide for one group and not a hundred others, and it doesn't stop when we provide for another hundred others and not one. None of those things put us on the same path, faith in God. You remember the quote by Tozier, do you not know that 100 pianos 
tuned with the same fork are also in tune with one another. Doesn't matter if those pianos are upright, baby grand, grand, or electric, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they're in Egypt or Canada or Mexico. If they're all tuned to the same fork, they're all in tune with one another. And if all of us, black, white, red, green, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, women, men, anyone, if all of us were following Jesus, we would all be on the same team. Faith in God is the key. Nothing more, nothing less. You want to end ethnocentrism? Stop making us the center. When Christ's the center, it all passes away. There's your racist sermon. Have a nice day. It's not mine, it's his. He started there, and he put his foot down hard. And he said, if you don't get it right, hell's waiting. That's what weeping and gnashing of teeth means. So let's get it right, church. Can I get an amen? Let's go home. Let me pray for you. God, free us from our self-centeredness. Racism at its core is simply self-righteousness based on something we bring to ourselves. God, help us do better. Turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let us look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. He came with good news. Let's preach good news. I know there are those who want to scare the hell out of people, so to speak. But that is not what Jesus taught. He preached good news. Loved the lepers. Smiled at the centurion. Healed the sick gave sight to the blind, and gave life to you and me. God, I pray that those things fall on our hearts and we become Jesus-centric. It's in his precious name we pray, amen.